Well, there is obviously a lot going on uh, in our church, and it is Back to School Sunday. Uh, we're kind of waiting for the Fellowship Center to, as they begin to, to wind their worship up. So I'm going to stall for a second, and because I can stall, I can tell stories. Because uh, all three of those boys that were on the video, I, I knew the day they were born. Um, and so it was really good. Used to shake the grumpies out of, out of Luke there. He doesn't remember that, but his parents do. Uh, shaking the grumpies out of him. Andy, you know, I don't see Mike. How do you sing after hearing such an awesome communion uh, speech there? Very good. Very good, Andy. And you think, man, Andy's such a serious guy, and he is. But then you get to see the other side of Andy. And Daniel, where did that man voice come from? I, I just don't know. I mean, overnight, it just, boom, he's got a man radio voice. Proud of you guys, proud of all of our young people. And uh, Fellowship Center, welcome up over there. I'd like to invite our, our elders up. Um, uh, also, our elders in the, in the Fellowship Center will be heading up. But also, uh, if you are a school-age child, this is a lot of our, our kids and our children's ministry. Uh, but if you are in high school, middle school, uh, college, Come on up here along with our elders, and we're going to have a moment of a, a charge and a blessing uh, for you guys as you make your way up. Yeah, we got a good crew coming up in the in the fellowship center there. Uh, there's I mean, one of these days we'll be able to show you what's going on over there and see what we see down here in these screens. It's pretty cool. They got a slew over there too, just like we. Time of year, I love this time of year because you get to see how strong and look. You you have a lot of kids at church. What does that mean for your church's future? It's growing, and I love it. And sometimes, you know, during the summer, I know back to school. We're all glad to go back to school. For those of you who have had your kids in here during our service time, yeah, come on over here, uh, Andy Griffin. Y'all come on over. Uh, that you are you're glad. Thank goodness, children's ministry is cranking back up. But boy, I love. I love it when they're disruptive sometimes because that's a sign of a growing church for sure. We got everybody. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Um, and while we have our, our lights up, uh, this is just a few of our children's ministry volunteers. Anybody that has the love guide, love people, uh, love the world shirts on. And this is just a few of them. Cynthia, how many is it? Where are you at, Cynthia? Where'd you go? There you there you are. I'm sorry, I didn't see you. I saw your sister. Uh, how many does it take on a Sunday morning, top to bottom over there? Volunteers. 18 adults volunteering every week. And, and you know, you can, you can get tired doing that. So that's why the push for children's ministry to sign up. Go see Cynthia and that crew over there. They're doing a great job. Uh, if you are a teacher, administrator, support personnel, bus driver, student, uh, a teacher's aide, it would stand up if you would. Yeah. Now stay standing for a few minutes. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do every day. Uh, education and working in the school system, uh, whatever level it is, uh, is not, is not just a job, is it? It's a calling with this. So stay standing. And y'all, I want y'all to hear too, all right? Because this is a charge for everybody uh, that I want to want to give as a church. One, while we all serve different roles, from teachers to support to uh, in, in the classroom, in the office, to being students, uh, we all share a common job, and that is ambassadors for Christ. No matter how whoever the youngest here is to whoever the oldest is out there, uh, it's, we have a common job and that is to be an ambassador for Christ, whether you're a student or whether you're a teacher. Now more than ever, our school, and I'm going to turn, they tell you not to do this, but I'm turning my back to the audience. Now more than ever, I want y'all to listen. If you don't hear anything, hear this. Now more than ever, the people that you are walking the halls with and the people you sit next to in class need light and life and truth spoken into them. And that is your job, no matter how young or old you are on this stage, to speak life and truth into them. You are ambassadors for Christ, and do that. You be the positive one. You be the one that's, that is encouraging, not the discouraging one. they got plenty of that at the world. We are different. Teachers, support staff, you're the ones that have those, those moments where you touch a life like no one else can. And, uh, and, and you have... As godly men and women have stepped into this role as a calling from God, 
Yeah, maybe you were drawn to education in some level or another as a young person, but now you know this is a calling from God. And so we charge you to to be that special gift to mold the minds and thinkings and life of people. And we thank you for what you've already done and what you will do in the future. You and all of you, to use our vernacular that we've learned in the last couple of years, are frontline workers providing essential work to the kingdom of God. And we are proud of you for that. So with that, we support you and we support you in making this 21-22 school year the best year yet. And we love you and we're proud of you. Let's go to our Father. Father, we're grateful for those watching online. This is a blessing for them. For those in the other service, and in the instrumental service, this is a blessing for them. As our elders surround and our church uh, family supports We pray that this year, that as we go forth as ambassadors of Christ, no matter the age, that we touch lives uh, because that is what we're here to do. That's what you have created us to do, to touch lives, to be your priests, to be your ambassadors on this earth, to reach out to glorify you. And may we do that at every opportunity given to us. I pray this year is safe in all of our schools, that this COVID thing doesn't, doesn't infest our schools, that, that if, if people are watching at home through, uh, through whatever means they have to get their education, whether it be maybe in their own home, their homeschooling, or if they're doing a co-op, or if they're doing private or public, or, or a hybrid of both, whatever it is, whether they're on a college campus or, or watching in front of a screen, I pray that this is an awesome year and, and their minds are shaped and molded and matured in ways that will glorify you. May the truth reign. There's a lot of stuff out there that is not good. And we pray that truth wins out in these young minds and in these old minds as well as we are your ambassadors here. We love you. We thank you for this opportunity. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Kiddos, y'all stay right here for just a minute. Come here, bud. Judson is going to be our scripture reader. Uh, and Judson is eight years old and he, and he loves baseball. You know, you come from a, 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 a deep tradition of baseball players, you know. Who was a great baseball player in your family? Do you know? Oh, he's right, he's right there. He was a great baseball player. You're, you're, what do you, what does he call you, Randy? Are you Papa? Paul? Paul, Paul was a great baseball player back in the day. Has he ever told you baseball stories? Oh, he's not like a Josh Hudnall telling you baseball stories from back in the day, is he? Yeah, okay, that's good. He's a humble baseball player. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Hope Josh is watching this. All right, Judson is going to uh, do our scripture today. Okay. Isaiah 49, 6. I will also make you a light for the nations to be, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Awesome. Very appropriate scripture for our day. Good job. All right, kiddos. Thank you all. Y'all may go. To where you go, wherever that is. While they're making their way back to their seats, I want to invite Chris and Simon and Harley on up. In October of last year, uh, we introduced Simon and Bridget to you. Simon came on as our campus minister and is over the last number of months, along with Harley, has been gearing up for this 21-22 school year as, as we launch and relaunch and, and reinvigorate life on that campus at ULM. And uh, Chris Buxton, you may not know, Chris is the executive director of ULife, which is a campus ministry planning organization. He was in campus ministry Oh, for about 30 years, still is, and is uh, now has been working with us since that, before that time. Help us find Simon. And uh, they're going to be sharing with us today. in uh, our goal in this, and I don't want to get into their, their material or, or what they're going to share, but our goal is to, is to move off that corner at, at, at ULM on the corner of University and Desire and onto that campus and to take that momentum onto tech and onto Grambling. Uh, and I'm proud of, of Simon and uh and chris but i must tell you i'm super proud of this one right here uh as as she calls herself harley's a homegrown girl uh first uh i think ryan lee called you that a homegrown girl she she came to us when 
when she was in middle school, has been involved from youth to college, hosting live stream. You live stream folks will, will recognize Harley involved in our instrumental service, involved in missions, uh, and every just a children's ministry, just about every aspect. And Harley uh, called Burn the Ships. She quit her job, her profession that she went and is now coming in to do uh, work with Simon and do campus ministry. And I'm super, super proud of her. And this is a deep commitment to step into ministry, and I'm very proud of you. And, uh, you know, this is what it is. We grow our own, and they, they continue to grow us. And so we're proud of you for that, I'm proud of all of you, and looking forward to today. And I'm going to pray for you all as you all get started. Thank you, Father, for, for the opportunity to have three major universities right here in our, in our area and one right here in our backyard. Uh, continue to bless Simon and now Harley as they, as they do some great work on this campus. I pray that they find hearts that are hurting uh, and they can teach them the healing love of your grace and your gospel. Be with them uh, as they share today uh, and, and bless the words that they share to inspire and to motivate us and ultimately to glorify you. It's through Jesus. Amen. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah, there I am. Good morning, church. Uh, So, this morning is going to be a little different than your normal Sunday sermon. Uh, Chris and I, he's going to be back up here in a minute, we're going to kind of do do some tag team preaching here. So I know you guys are used to the dual preachers. We're not trying to uh, uh, fill Mike and Al's job. That's big shoes to fill. Um, and, and be in prayer, uh, for Mike, he, he's been sick this week. So it just kind of worked out that we already had this planned anyways. Um, so be in prayer for him. Uh, but, but this morning is a special back to school Sunday. I, I mean, I haven't even been here for a year, so I haven't been to a back to school Sunday here at WFR, but, uh, but, but this one is the first back to school Sunday that this church has had a, a a budding, thriving campus ministry that is breaking in to the campus, the campuses, to several campuses here around us. Um, and and so what we're going to do this morning is uh, is specifically, if I can get that out, specifically uh, speak to to that, speak to the, the campus ministry work and what we're doing. And I just want to tell you guys my story a little bit. I know I've met a lot of you guys over this past year, but our, this church is, is, is it has a huge footprint and, and there's still some of y'all, uh, especially y'all online uh, that I haven't met. And so um, if you're if you're new here this morning or or you just haven't uh, met me or uh, uh, David's introduction didn't resonate with you again, my name is Simon. Uh, I am the campus minister. I just I just love on college students. That's what I do. Um, and my wife, Bridget, is here today. She's uh, she's she's a nurse by trade, actually. Um, and then she's going to medical school at ULM right now. She she quit nursing and. So, so pray for our, our house. It's a little hectic. She just started school and we're starting back, uh, at ULM on campus and, uh, things are crazy at our house. Uh, but I've been married to her for about three years and, uh, our story is, uh, one of, uh, it's one of campus ministry. I, I met, we met at a college student Bible study at Arkansas Tech University. Um, and, and, and I'll get to that in a minute, uh, but, but first, b- before I go down this uh, road of my story, I just want to, I just want to speak specifically to students in general, whether you are a college student or you're not there yet, whether you're in high school or middle school, um, it doesn't matter how young you are. I want to say this, that this church deeply believes in you. I want to reiterate what David said. We deeply believe in you. Some of y'all may not know, I'm only 24, so like I'm just a few years out of college. This church, I'm living testimony, this church puts deep responsibility and trust in its young people. And, and, and the next generation of leaders are going to come from this next generation of young people. And this church deeply believes and cares about its students. So this message this morning, while we're going to talk to, to college students and talk about college students, I just want to say that 
whatever age you are, if you're not there yet, um, if you're a student here and you're, and you're, you know, you're, you're not a college student yet, there will come a time in your life where you will sit at the crossroads of everything you've done in life. And you'll be given all the freedom in the entire world to make your own decisions about which roads you'll take. And those roads will ultimately shape who you are for the rest of your life. I firmly believe that happens around the time you graduate high school. So, so, so I just want to say that to, to make the point that this is an important message and it's the passion of my life. So um, if you would, just, just, just bear with me and, 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 and pay attention to us because this is, this, is, this, is this is my life's passion. I'm going to share with you guys. Uh, so my story, uh, it starts... So I was I was I was raised in North Arkansas. Uh, I'm still getting used to the heat down here. I'll be honest, this is the hottest place I've ever lived in my entire life. It is. There's a creek right behind our house. We just bought a house. There's a creek, and the mosquitoes are terrible. The humidity is terrible. Um, but I love the people here. Uh, well, I grew up about as far back in the Ozark Mountains as you could like possibly get. That's kind of my family story. Just grew up pretty rural, uh, small town. Uh, some of y'all might know Harrison, Arkansas. That's where I grew up. And uh, and I, I don't know if this is true, but I've never asked my parents this, but, but I really think that uh, from the minute I was born, I was in a church pew. Like as soon as I, as they could bring me back to church as a baby, I was there. I don't have any memories of my life outside of going to church and grew up in a, in a pretty small rural church. And, and I love that church and the family atmosphere that we had. And, um, it lended a lot to, uh, who I am today. Um, and so that, that was kind of my upbringing and then coming up through, High school as a teenager, uh, you know, I, I got baptized when I was uh, 16. Um, I, 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 I have faith. I had genuine faith that Jesus uh, was Lord and Savior, that he had died and been resurrected, and it was a sacrifice. And, 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 and I believed in, in the gospel, and, and I had faith in the cross, and, and I knew that God was sovereign over me and over all the world. Um, and I don't know if it was a product of just my immaturity, you know, as a, as a teenager, or uh, it was a, something I learned from my church, um, or something I, I just picked up. Uh, myself, I don't know. Um, I, I love the church that I grew up in, but I, while I may have had some faith, I really, I really never knew anything at all about faithfulness. And uh, 18 years, you know, after I graduated high school, 18 years in in Jesus's church, I didn't, I didn't, I knew what it was like to believe in Him, but I, I didn't know what it was like to live with him or live in light of him. And maybe that's the story for a lot of high school students. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, it, I, w- I, was pretty, I was pretty lukewarm. That's a good way to put it. Um, I, was, I was pretty much go to church on Sunday and, and not really do much <laughs> on Monday, right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know if I was, uh, uh, I don't think I was living a dual life, but I just, there wasn't just, a whole lot of permeation into my heart uh, from the gospel, and and so I just want to say if if you're kind of that age right now, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, and and you find yourselves in that boat spiritually, that's a dangerous place to be. I want to I want to I want to be serious about that. It's completely a dangerous place to be. Uh, there's a Bible verse about it, right? Jesus talks about the dangers of being lukewarm. So I just want to encourage you, uh, if, if you're in that boat, come to Jesus fully. Make him the Lord of your life every day. Because where that put me was when I graduated high school, I followed uh, my two best friends. If you, if, you get, if you get the chance to go to college with your best friends, do it. It's the greatest experience ever. Uh, we had a, a bachelor pad that was terribly messy for four years and a lot of crazy fishing experiences. Uh, 
It was, it was some really good good times with those guys. But uh, so so I, I followed them down to Arkansas Tech in Russellville, and they were a year ahead of me. They'd already been there. Uh, I I majored in agriculture business, which was the degree that they were doing. Um, so I just kind of followed them. I didn't really have any passion. I didn't really know to look to anyone or to look to Jesus for leadership on my life. I just I just kind of followed people that I knew. Um, and, I, and I'm so thankful that those uh, those two uh, my best friends are still my best friends. They're they're great people, great guys. Uh, but I could have easily have followed anyone or anything. I could easily have started off my college career uh, or post-high school life a completely different direction. And where I found myself when I showed up on the college campus at Arkansas Tech as a freshman, uh, I had I had uh, resentment for, I guess, resentment for just the church in general, like just the, the Sunday service, waking up. I didn't want to do that. There was nobody making me do that anymore. Um, uh, and again, I'm so thankful uh, for, for those two guys who who really showed me a an awesome campus ministry at Arkansas Tech. And so I did all the things that like freshmen do at college. Right? I did all the stupid things, but all along that freshman year, I was exposed to this campus ministry at Arkansas Tech. It's actually one that Chris, uh, he led uh, for a while um, before I got there. He, he wasn't there when I got there, but it, uh, he, he was the campus minister at one point. And, and so it was this, this ministry with a, a long history of gospel-centered people and grace and love and people who actually knew Jesus personally. And for the first time in my life, for the very first time in my life, I I encounter people who were like me. They they were my age. They were going through the same. Some of them had come from the same faith background that I had been a part of, and 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 they knew my story. They knew my struggles. They knew my life, and yet they were on the college campus worshiping the King of the Universe with all their heart. I got, for the first time in my life, I, I, I saw what the church in Acts was talking about. I saw that church for the first time in my life. I saw people filled with the Spirit of God on a great adventure. And it, it literally changed, it changed the course of my life. I don't know, I'm not good with, with expressing this, but it is, it is the single thing that absolutely changed the course of my life. If it wasn't for a campus ministry at Arkansas Tech that, that I encountered, if it wasn't for that, that I, I would just be in church on Sunday, be cussing on Monday, be living my life, and thinking that I'm right with the Lord, but not really caring in the end. That's, that's where I would have been. Today, I, I'm standing in front of you guys because of that campus ministry. I saw students who literally... That, they didn't. They they declined jobs in the summertime. I mean, college students don't have that much money, anyways. Uh, they declined working in the summertime to go overseas and talk to people about Jesus. They didn't make any money in their college. You know, they, they didn't do nothing. They just lived off a of, uh, ramen and whatever the cafeteria had, which is probably not as good as ramen. You know, uh, so these guys were really being faithful. <laughs> They were giving up a lot. These, these guys were giving up friendships. I mean, the college campus is, is one of, of cliques and, and finding your place. And there's organizations and there's fraternities and sororities and there's this and that. And there's these people. And these people were sacrificing, finding favor with, with the popular people on campus a lot of times because... They believed in Jesus and lived it out every day of their life. I know that this church um, is a gospel-centered church. That's why we wanted to move down here. Um, we were we were <laughs> we were sold on the, the the amount of people here that that know Jesus. Uh, this is an amazing church, and and I know that a lot of you all here, like you, 
you've seen Jesus. You've been with Jesus. You've walked with Jesus. You know the Spirit of God. But I'm telling you guys, I was on an American university campus, one of the most secular places in our culture, probably, probably the most secular place in, in, in this community. I was, I was on the university campus watching people live out their faith and worship the king of the universe every single day. And they didn't care. <laughs> they, were, they were happy to do it. There was this community of people that lifted them up and built them up. And so there was guys that were just a few years ahead of me that took me under their wing. And they showed me what it was like to follow Jesus. And... uh if you ask uh, the the campus minister there, uh, he probably would say that I, I there wasn't much impact on me during those years, and there probably wasn't. But a seed a seed was planted in me that started to sprout at, around graduation time in college. I had this job uh, lined up. I was gonna. I was going to go and, and lead a fleet of truck drivers at, at a chicken plant. And as, as amazing as that sounds, uh, <laughs> I decided I, I, I was felt crazy at the time for doing this, but, but I decided to decline that job. It was a really, really good job, paid extremely well right out of college. And, and I gave that up and, and I said that, I, I basically said, there is not enough people. There's not enough workers in the field giving, leading, making happen the, the, the experience that I experienced at Arkansas Tech at the campus ministry. There's just not enough. There's thousands of universities in America, and there's just not enough of God's people going to those universities. And so I said, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and around that same time, uh, I was getting married to Bridget, uh, December 2018. And, 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 I, and I had to look her dad in the eye and say, hey, you know, I'm going to give up my job, and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm going to take a position where I don't make any money. You know, I had to raise my own funds. That was tough. Uh, that's a different story, though. Uh, but we made it through, and 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 so so I started a position at the campus ministry where I was literally uh, an apprentice of campus ministry. I was like like a carpenter or electrician would have an apprentice. That's what I was doing. I was just learning to be camp be a campus minister, and uh, and, and the goal was that that I would go somewhere that that Bridget and I would move somewhere where there wasn't a campus ministry and we would start one and and that's kind of how I ended up here that 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 kind of brings you all up to current speed um and and again we found this church and and we fell in love with you guys we fell in love with the people here and I'm so thankful to be here no seriously I am it this is a life-changing place and so uh for the past year-ish uh, my job has been to restart the work at ULM and uh, re-gear to think about Louisiana Tech and Grambling and other universities that are in Louisiana. Uh, and so that's what we've been done. Last week actually was the first, the first week of ULM school year, and it was absolutely draining uh but uh, i'm so thankful that harley was there to help out with it uh we we are we are expecting god to show up in big ways this year and 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 through this last year i just became convicted that this church body here this wfr like like you guys realize that that you can help start a movement on the college campus i want you guys to know that like like, like there's enough like resurrection gospel power in this church body. Like we, like we can start a movement on the college campus from this church. And I became convicted of that last year. And, and so, um, and so we renamed our college, our campus, our college ministry campus movement. And so that's, that's who we are today. And, and we're just at ULM right now. Um, I was talking to a guy last week, I guess, um, and I was talking to him, and, and I was talking to him about, about his faith background, and and he said that he kind of been burned out by church, uh, but but he was now open to all religions, and 
Um, and, and that's what campus movement is about, listening to people who, who have been hurt by church, listening to, to people who don't know much about Jesus. I, I don't know what will happen to that particular guy, but um, I hope he would find that Christ is the only thing that can fix his life. And so, and so we're there on the campus, the most secular place in, in, in the world, I believe. And we're gospel people. And we're, we're starting small, but we're thinking big. And, and our vision, our vision is this, that we wouldn't just, we wouldn't just stop at ULM, that we would go to tech and we would go to Grambling and we might even go to LSU. I, I don't know. We, we may go to the ends of the earth with this movement. But part of what I wanted to do this morning before I invite Chris up was just share my heart with you guys. This is literally the passion of my life. I, I, I could not do anything else. Church, I, I, I need you. College students need you. We, we need you to join us in this mission. I'm going to let Chris come up and tell you a little bit more about uh, about about himself. Um, I'll, I'll just introduce him real quick as he's coming up. Uh, Chris is uh, he, he leads a, a, a ministry called U Life Campus Ministry Planning, and WFR hired him uh, a while ago to help get this whole thing started. And and along the journey, he's been uh, been a mentor to me through all of this, and, and he's a very wise guy. So uh, lend your ear to Chris. Thank you, Simon. You bet. Love Simon. I appreciate him so much. So proud of him. So proud of this church for your renewed commitment to college students. Uh, I heard a couple weeks ago, I heard a very astute theological observation about the state of Louisiana. You guys want to hear it? Okay. I hope you haven't all heard this before. Very astute theological observation. So, you know, we all in story. You know, the, the serpent comes and Adam and Eve with, with the fruit, you know, and, and they eat it. And, of course, you know, everything's all downhill from there. So the observation was, if Adam and Eve would have been from Louisiana, they would have ignored the fruit and ate the snake. And we would have all been fine. But the fruit was eaten. I think maybe that applies more to South Louisiana, probably. But, um, but the fruit was eaten and, and downward spiral. And, and then the, the, the redemption story really starts in earnest with this guy named Abram, who's later, who's later called Abraham. And God comes to him and he says, I'm going to use you to bless all nations. And I'm going to give you tons of, uh, of descendants. And I'm going, give, I'm going to give you a land for your people to live. Now, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever thought about why God placed the Israelites, Abram's descendants, in the, in the specific land that he put them in? Why did he put them in that specific geographic location on the globe? Because there were, there were at that time in history, could have been tons of other places that they could have gone. They could have gone to probably lots of other places that, that would have been maybe more, more fruitful, would have been maybe uh, less inclined to famine. Places where nobody lives, so they wouldn't have to, you know, fight their way in, do war and, and, and bloodshed and all of that. So why did God put them there, in the place, in the land that the, that the Bible calls Canaan? Have you ever wondered about that? Why right there? Well, when you understand the mission of Israel, I think it becomes really clear. The young brother that read the text earlier, he said Israel's job was to, to do what? To be a light to the nations. The, the, the prophet Isaiah says that multiple times. Your job is to be a light to the nations. And so God takes Israel and he places them in, in literally the center of the world, at the crossroads of culture. You have Egypt down to, the, down to the southwest, and you have the Mesopotamian kingdoms up in the northeast, Assyria and Babylon. You, you're bordering the Mediterranean Sea, which was this really important um, uh, trade route. And so literally God takes them, he places them right in the middle of everything. Why? 
Well, if he would have tucked them away, you know, in some dark corner of the universe, they wouldn't have been able to see the light, right? So he puts them in Canaan, specifically, of all the places on the globe, he puts them in the middle of everything so that they could fulfill their mission of being a light to the nations. Now, if you were going to do that today, if you're going to replicate the, 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 the ministry, the mission of the nation of Israel today, where would you go? Now, you could go maybe to Paris or London. You could go to New York City. That'd be a great option. Maybe perhaps two of the best ones in the world would be Los Angeles, the center of the entertainment world, or Washington, D.C., I was in Panama a couple of times and saw the Panama Canal. You know, these, these ships from all over the world going, you know, 24-7 going through there. Panama maybe might be a good place to stake out. And all of those places need to be certainly outposts for God's people. But, but I'm going to tell you something. If I had to pick one, if I had to pick one place on the entire globe to stake out a kingdom outpost for, for most effective and most powerful kingdom mission, I think I would pick the American University. Now, technically, that's not one location, I understand, but you get the point. Now, why would I say that? That's a fairly bombastic claim. You know, of all the places in the world where you could, you could stake out ground and, and do kingdom work, why would the American University be one of, if not, the most important place for God's people to be? So let me, let me just kind of make a quick case for that. Let's think about the concept of the American dream. The American dream. You know, in the United States today, there are more than 5,300 colleges and universities. There are more than 17 million students right now attending college in the United States. Roughly 95% of high school students who come out of, who come out of high school say they intend to seek some kind of higher education. Now, of course, all of them are not to college, some of them may be going to other types of training, but the vast majority of them will go to college or they will at least seek to go to college. Today, college in the United States is assumed to be, for most people, the path that they are taking to a successful life. Most 18 to 24 year olds in the United States are gathering on our campuses. They're all at one place at one time for one reason. What an incredible missional opportunity. In Acts 19, the Apostle Paul goes to Ephesus. It's a, it's a major, it's a major center for, for, uh, for trade and for religion. The, the, the temple of Artemis is there. And he comes into, or excuse me, into Ephesus and he, he goes to the synagogue, which was his typical practice, and spends a, a short time there, but he gets rejected by the Jews in the synagogue there in Ephesus. And so it says in Acts 19, he went to the place called Lecture Hall of Tyrannus. Now, we don't know what the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus was. It was obviously some sort of educational facility. And it says that Paul spent two years there. Two years there. And it says in Acts 19 that by doing that, you know, because we think of Paul as being a traveling missionary, which he was, you know, a week or two at a, at a place. Well, he didn't always do that. Sometimes he stayed for a while. So he's an emphasis for two years and teaching in this place called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus. And it says that by doing that, he was able to reach, this is a quote from X 19, he was able to reach the entire uh, region or the entire uh, area of Asia, the entire province of Asia. Now, what I'm, tr- what I'm trying to argue here is that there is a Lecture Hall of Tyrannus at every college and university in the United States. And if we would replicate the mission of Paul... What he did in Ephesus, we could replicate the effects of what Paul did. Let's think about vocation for a minute. You know, obviously the, uh, the, the reason that people go to college is for vocational training. They go to get uh, the education and the knowledge and the skills that they need to do a job. You know, college trains future leaders and opinion shaper, shapers and, and cultural influencers. Uh, politicians and business owners and teachers and all sorts of people, uh, they're, they, they graduate from college and then they begin to live out what they were taught in college, what they were trained to do. But the question for God's people is, what kind of leaders are our universities producing? 
What kind of workers are these students becoming through the experiences that they gain at our colleges and universities? What if students could learn to see their vocation, not primarily in in light of privilege or financial gain, but as a vehicle for glorifying God? What if we could learn, what if they could learn that all, that all good work, regardless of what your vocation is, you don't have to be a preacher, right? You don't have to be any kind of minister or anything like that. That all good work, all good work is God's work. All good work is meant to be done to God's glory for the benefit of God's kingdom. Everything we do. God's people must help students understand that their talents, whether it's you know teaching or nursing or farming or investing or writing computer programs or, or building roads or balancing spreadsheets, that all of those are gifts from God to be used for His glory through their vocational work. What if we could help students going through college to see their vocation through that lens? Let's talk about meaning what I call meaning-making for a minute. Meaning-making. Finding meaning in college. Did you realize that all but one of the United States Ivy League universities started were started by Christians? Did you know that? Cornell is the only one of the Ivy League universities that, were, that was not started by Christians for the specific purpose of primarily training ministers. Did you know that the motto, even today, of Harvard University is... Truth for Christ and the church. Hmm. The motto of Yale, light and truth. The motto of Princeton, under God's power, she flourishes. Dartmouth, a voice crying in the wilderness. Columbia, in thy light we shall see light. In 1646, Harvard was founded... Uh, it's, it's our oldest university. It was founded as a, a, an institution that was to be academically rigorous, but also distinctly Christian. The goals of its Puritan founders was not only to shape minds, but also to shape hearts and souls. And its first goal was to serve the church. Did you know that as late as 1890... I did, actually, I didn't even know this until a few years ago. As late as 1890, most... Colleges and universities in the United States required daily chapel attendance. I'm talking about public, secular universities. Uh, and some of them required Sunday, uh, Sunday worship uh, attendance. And that, that continued largely up through about World War II. Some of that did, at least. And then after that, it became more and more rare. But you and I both know that today... Virtually every semblance of faith in God has been erased from the American public university. Everything today is explained through naturalistic explanations. There is little, if any, hint of the transcendent. The most fundamental questions that students ask during the college years, who am I? Where am I going? Why does any, or does any of this even matter? Today's university students are completely unequipped to help students answer those most fundamental questions. The secular academy has lost virtually all ability to address what was once its central mission to shape not only minds, but also hearts and souls. Faith at the American public university has been relegated almost completely to the private conscience. Virtually no efforts to address the even most basic aspects of personal morality. And so if God's people aren't there, if, if you, if we are not there to introduce students to what's beyond the natural world, who will? You know, the college years often are a time when we solidify our worldview. How are we going to see and understand the world? What is the lens through which we're going to see and interpret the world in which we live? Is it going to be a world created by God or a world created by chance? Will we submit to the will of God or will will we live sort of by our own hedonistic self-will? Will life have meaning and purpose or are we just sort of a meaningless clump of accidental cells? It's during the college years that people decide how they're going to see and understand and interpret the world in which they live. The truth is that no student, no college student enters college with a fully formed worldview. Listen to me. 
no student, virtually no student, leaves college without a fully formed worldview. They will figure out how they're going to see, understand, and interpret the world during those years. And so the question for us is, who will be among those students as they're figuring out how they're going to understand the world? Now, the next thing is closely related, faith exploration. Did you know that Gen Z, uh, what sociologists call Gen Z, the current rising um, generation, is the first truly post-Christian generation? Did you know that? Um, there are twice as many atheists in Gen Z uh, as there are compared to the overall American adult population. Millennials were often referred to... Now, millennials... Um, if you didn't know, some of them are in their 40s now, okay? So they're, well, they're, they've moved on. Um, millennials were often referred to as spiritual but not religious. Sociologists are telling us that Gen Z is neither spiritual nor religious. But even for students coming to the university with faith, the university can become a perfect storm. So even students who come from a, a great church like White's Ferry Road and they go to college, that can create a perfect storm. They're drifting, oftentimes, uh, they're, you know, they're no longer answerable to their parents, but they're also, um, they're also being challenged by these, you know, these new uh, worldviews and these new concepts, and they lack maturity oftentimes to process them appropriately, and they often drift away from faith. And they, you know, they, as they lose these strong personal bonds with parents and coaches and teachers and, and, and youth ministers and faith communities, they begin to sort of try on different ways of living and thinking and acting. But on the positive side, that same dynamic can occur in, in reverse. Students who come to the university with no faith are also willing to try on new worldviews and new perspectives and new belief systems. Um, only about the best statistics we have tell us that only about two percent, only about two percent of people who will ever come to faith do it after their twenties. So typically, the you know the vast majority. And obviously, it happens. It happens sometimes. Uh, I'm sure it happens at this church a lot. But it's very rare, statistically speaking, for someone to come to faith in Jesus after they leave their twenties. What happens is the college years are basically our last best opportunity to reach people with, with faith in Jesus. And so after those years and they go into their mid to late 20s and go into the 30s, that window of recency slowly begins to close. And so for some students, the college years are our last best opportunity to reach them with the gospel of Jesus. Let's talk about a season, what I call a season of critical decisions or critical relationships. When do people who, who get married, when do they typical, typically figure that out? When do they typically meet the person they're going to marry? Obviously, it happens different for everybody, but what is the time in life when most people meet their spouse? During this time that we're talking about, right? My daughter is a college student. Two weeks ago, performed her wedding. Um... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Most of the time, if you're going to get married, you're going to find your spouse somewhere in that, in that, you know, early to mid-twenties age range. You know, we could do an entire series that lasts a month about how big a deal marriage is, right? How big a deal it is to, to select the right spouse and how big, it, how big an impact that has on your life. So I won't belabor that point. Another one, though, is Friends. We often minimize the impact and the power and the potency of friendships. One of the world's largest and longest longitudinal psychological studies began in 1938 at Harvard University. 268 Harvard College male sophomores began to be uh, researched. And this has greatly expanded since then. You can, you can actually Google uh, Harvard Longitudinal Study. Don't do it right now. Harvard Longitudinal Study, and you can read all about it. Uh, it began as an attempt to identify the most critical factors contributing to happiness. In other words, what makes people happy? What, what gives people a happy life? What gives them fulfillment? Eighty years of data gathering. Eighty years. They followed these Harvard College sophomores their entire lives and beyond. Now they've even begun to track all the way into their great-grandchildren. 
And they've, they've gathered immense stacks of data on what contributes to a happy life. And here's what they found. It says, when we gathered together everything we knew about them at about age 50, it wasn't their middle-aged cholesterol levels that predicted how they were going to grow old. It was how satisfied they were in their relationships. The people who were most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. In other words, what they found is the happier people were, the, or the, the better their relationships were, the better their friendships were, the happier they were, and the happier they were, the better their physical health was. And so if you track that all the way back, most of these people at 80, when did they meet the, those friends that often continue to be friends for life? Oftentimes it happens all the way back during those college and young adult years. And so often, it's, it's so often that we find our lifelong friendships whether it be marriage or our closest friends, during this season in life. Now, here's the last one. It's something we call the Pentecost Principle in, in, in college and campus ministry, the Pentecost Principle. In Acts chapter 2, um, if you're familiar with the story, it's when, it's when the, ostensibly when the, the early church broke out, the Holy Spirit breaks out, and in in, in 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 God's church, the, the followers of Jesus begin in earnest as the church. And in Acts chapter 2, it says... It says, well, let me say this first. Why did God select this, this, this particular time, this particular place, the day of Pentecost? This would have been 50 days after, after the Passover. It would have been about 10 days after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Why did God select that specific time and that specific place for the breaking out of the church? Well, it says in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, it says, there were, I'll quote it, um, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, I don't know if that's a literal statement, but the point is there were people from all over the world gathered in one place at one time. Now, by now you should be away ahead of me, but let's put our thinking caps on and think for a minute. Where could we go today to find that? Where could we go today to essentially be able to replicate what occurred at Pentecost where there is a gathering of every nation under heaven. The only place that I know of anywhere anywhere around here would be the university. ULM, Louisiana Tech, Grambling, and, and, and basically every college and university in the United States to one degree or another has students, international students, who, who are coming from all over the world. You have to realize that across the world, the, the ability to speak English and, and, a, and an American education are the gold standard for success around the world, around the world. So when I said earlier, when I said the American university is, is the place to be a light to the nations, I meant specifically the American university because the world is coming here. It's coming right here to West Monroe. Isn't that amazing? We talk about it as the Great Commission in reverse. You know, Jesus said, go into all the world. Well, guess what? At ULM, at Louisiana Tech, the world is coming to us. Like, we can evangelize the entire world and don't even have to buy a plane ticket. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that exciting? Isn't that an incredible opportunity? In fact, isn't, isn't God... Yeah. Don't, don't you think God expects us to do something with that? It may be that God got tired of waiting on us to go to them, and He said, okay, I'm just going to bring them to you. And He has. So the question is, what are we going to do about that? The Pentecost principle. Amazing. There are today more than 1.1 million foreign students coming to the United States to study. Uh, roughly a little over 8% of all college and university enrollment are students from other countries. It's true at ULM, and it's true at most every college and university around the country. I'll close with this story. I met this kid named Oki about four years ago. This is Oki on the right. You, can, you may be able to, with your brand new you know, uh, screen up here, you may be able to see his name tag. It's so, it's so crisp and bright. I love this screen. Um, Oki is from Japan. 
And when we first met him, he was he 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 literally referred to himself as the king of atheists. Okay, so that kind of gives you an idea of what we're talking about. He, for whatever reason, continued to come to our campus ministry events. And this is him. This is a picture I took one night of him and the and, and this kid from South Korea sitting on the front row. And this is before he became a believer. And he just, for whatever reason, he just kept coming. The Lord, you know, the Spirit was working on him. And, and he would come and listen to me teach the Bible, but he, you know, but he continued to say, I don't believe. Well, eventually, long story short, eventually he came to faith. He was dating this girl from uh, South Korea, and, and, he, and he said, okay, now that I'm a believer, I realize I, I, I don't need to marry someone who doesn't share my faith. And so he began working on his, his uh, then-girlfriend, um, her the, the, the American name she went by is Kate. Her her real name is In Young, and and so he began working on In Young, and eventually led her to faith in Jesus, and then they got married, and so they're now both believers, one from Japan, one from South Korea. Okay, now what are we going to do? About five years ago, we had planted a new campus ministry at the University of Washington in Seattle. Our campus ministry at Arkansas State had sent a group of students from our ministry to Seattle, one of the most secular, ungodly places in the whole world, and and they began to work at the University of Washington. And so Oki and Kate, brand new, you know, brand new believers and newlyweds, said, we're going to go up there and help your campus ministry plant team. And so that's what they did. So Oki got a job doing computer stuff, and uh, they moved up there, and they started helping the ministry. And then Oki said, "You know, I've just got this burden on my heart. I got all these, I got all these family and friends back in Japan who don't know Jesus." And so he began saving part of his money from his job, and he and he was buying and shipping Bibles back to Japan, and asking his parents to read the Bible with him, and and, and they were passing out Bibles to their friends and family in Japan. And to this day, Oki, in fact, I had lunch with him just a few weeks ago. He came back to Arkansas for a visit. To this day, he and Kate are faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ at the University of Washington in the city of Seattle. And it all started, it all started because we had some people in our ministry in, in little old Jonesboro, Arkansas, at Arkansas State University, who had an opportunity to share Jesus with a kid from Japan. And then look what God does with it. It's just, it's beautiful. The world is coming to us. So let me close with this. Kind of a summary statement. The college years shape young people in almost every way into who they will be for life. You know, Simon mentioned that a minute ago. It's during the college years that they form their most important relationships, that they figure out their vocational calling, they make their faith decisions, they decide how they're going to understand the world. And just as Israel was situated literally at the crossroads of culture in the center of the known world, ULM and Louisiana Tech and Grambling State and other American universities are our society's, I believe, most important cultural intersections. Students are drawn together at one place at one time during one of the most formative seasons of their lives. And then they're scattered out into the world, carrying with them whatever knowledge and personal transformation that they have received during the college years. You know, during our college years and our young adult years, again, most of us are becoming the person that we will always be. The question is not, will college students be transformed during the college years? The question is, how will they be transformed And who will be their guide? I'll close with this quote. The university is a clear-cut fulcrum with which to move the world. The problem here is for the church to realize that no greater service can it render both itself and the cause of the gospel with which it was entrusted than to try to recapture the universities for Christ on whom they were all originally founded. One of the best ways of treating the macrocosm, the big picture, is through the handle of the universities in which millions of youths destined to positions of leadership spend in rigorous training between four and ten years of the most formative period of their life. More importantly than by any other means, 
change the university and you change the world. This is a statement by Habib Malik, a former United States, uh, excuse me, United Nations Secretary General. There is no, in my view, no more important mission in God's kingdom than to be among college students. They are the most available, teachable, and sendable people in our culture. And so I'm so thankful that White's Ferry Road is serious about reaching college students for Jesus. Simon? So, I'm going to read a passage as we close. Uh, This is Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Starting in verse 35, it says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field. Here's here's the invitation today. Here's here's the question I want to leave you guys with. Church, will you join in the harvest with us? We desperately need you. College students, will you join in the harvest on your campus, high school, middle school, junior high, whatever, students, will you join in the harvest on your campus? When I see this up-and-coming generation, I think about the words of Jesus, harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. So if you don't know who your shepherd is this morning, I want to invite you to come forward. There will be elders, uh, guys here uh, to take your requests or, or to pray with you. I want to invite you as we stand and sing.